You know, one of the things that businessmen are concerned with, and one of the things that investors are concerned with, is a profit and loss statement. If you're going to invest in a company, or if you're going to buy stock, you'll typically get your broker to give you a prospectus about that company. Something that will show you all the financial statements that they've had in the past years and what their profit and loss or their P&L statement has been for the past several years to know if it's a company that's making money or losing money. It helps you determine whether it's a good investment or not. Well, in our text this morning, Jesus is dealing with profits and losses. But Jesus is dealing with it in a much different manner than what you and I are accustomed to when we would look at a financial report of a company. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus took His disciples to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. They were there for what we would call today a a retreat. They're having some one-on-one time with Jesus. It's a time for Him to have some teaching time with them, with just them alone. It's a time for them to recharge their batteries from all the hectic schedule that they've all been going through. And while they're there, Jesus asks them, He says, Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they answered and said, Some say thou art Elias or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said, Well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of death won't prevail against the building of that church. Jesus promises that He's going to build His church. And He promises that death is not going to stop that plan to build His church. And He goes on and He gives Peter the keys to the kingdom that Peter can preach that first sermon that Peter's going to do in Pentecost, on Pentecost as we read about in Acts chapter 2. Peter's going to announce the terms of entrance into the kingdom. And then Jesus tells them that He's going to have to go to Jerusalem. And that in Jerusalem, He's going to have to suffer a great many things. And that He's going to be put to death. And He tells them that those that follow Him are going to have to deny self. They're going to have to take up the cross. And in verse 25, He asks two very important questions. He said, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Have you ever thought about that question? We've heard it all of our lives. I believe it was L.O. Sanderson that even wrote a song about it. It doesn't have a real catchy tune, but it's got all the words there. But have we ever really thought about that question? 
and thought about it on a very deep and very personal level? Or are those questions Jesus asked, what's a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? Instead of thinking about those on a very deep, personal, individual level, are those questions just something that we've considered on an intellectual level? I wonder sometimes... If really, down deep inside, down deep inside our heart of hearts, do we really believe in the things of God? I wonder if Jesus Christ is real to us. Do we actually take the Bible seriously. I wonder how often times we can take the Bible seriously and live the way that we live. How can Jesus Christ be real to us. And so often we can be so casual in our commitment. I saw something someone posted on Facebook this morning. And it was a series of four pictures. The first picture showed the great throngs of people at the Thanksgiving Day Parade. The second one showed a picture of mobs of people in a shopping mall on, Great, on Black Friday. The third picture showed Saturday football with eighty to a hundred thousand people in attendance in stadiums all over the country. And the fourth picture showed a sparsely filled church auditorium. And I wondered if that is not symptomatic of the things that are important to us as a nation. Just as an example, and I'm not trying to pick on the Aggies, but it comes to mind really quickly. There were over 100,000 people assembled last night at Kyle Field. And they all stayed to the bitter end of a ball game that went into seven periods of overtime. Number one, my first question, I would love to know exactly how many of those 100,000 people are in worship somewhere this morning. And then my next question would be, how many of those folks would complain if the sermon went five minutes over time? 
By the way, if you weren't watching the game, seven overtime periods translates to about an hour and a half longer that that game lasted. Where are the priorities of folks in our world today? How can Jesus Christ be real to people and people be so casual about their commitment to Jesus? Do we realize? Do we realize, really understand, does it soak in on us that we have an immortal soul and that it is the only part of us that is eternal and it is the only part of us that is immortal? Do we comprehend just how long eternity is going to last? And just how miserable it'll be without God. Do we understand how important it is to know the value of our own soul on a deep personal level? Folks, the fact that Jesus dealt with the value of the soul is conclusive proof of just how valuable our soul really is. Jesus never dealt with trivial things. Jesus never dealt with non-essential things. The teachings of Jesus are about the things that, are in, that in one way or another rise above the limitations of time. Look at the imagery of Jesus in that passage. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I remember as a child going into McClellan's five and ten cent store. My goodness, they had all the wonders a child could ask for. They had a candy counter that you could walk around and it was four sides and in the middle was even more candy and that's where they, the clerk was and that's where the popcorn machine was. And you would walk around there and oh, they had every kind of candy you could think of and you could get a dime's worth and that was a lot of candy then. And they would take the candy and you'd say, I want some of that candy right there. And how much do you want? And I'd say, let me have a fourth of a pound. And they had these balance scales up on the counter. And they would take a weight that weighed four ounces and put it on one side of the scales. And when they did, that side would go down. This side would come up. Then they'd start putting the candy on the other side until those scales balanced out and were even. And that's how they weighed your candy. That's the picture Jesus is trying to give me and you of just how much our soul is really worth. 
instead of a small candy scale on a candy counter, I want you to envision a giant balance scale. And on one side of that balance scale, I want you to envision all the wealth of this world. The cattle on a thousand hills. All the gold and all the silver and all the oil and everything of value. All the gems and rubies and diamonds and everything precious. I want you to put it on that side of the balance scale. And then I want you to put your soul. I want to put my soul. Not our souls collectively, but just one soul on the other side of that balance scale. And that soul is going to outweigh all the riches of this world. My soul is weightier than the cattle on a thousand hills. My soul weighs more and is more valuable than all the gold that's ever been discovered. It's more precious than all the diamonds and all the gems in the entire world. You and I have a soul. And that's what the language of the text implies. The Bible pictures mankind as a dual being. Here's what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. Though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed from day to day. The writers of the Bible refer to the inward man as the soul or the spirit and the outward man as the body. Peter and Paul both compare the body to the house in which we might live. The real man, the real woman, the real person being the soul or the spirit that dwells inside of the body. Now when you read the Word of God, the word soul has a variety of meanings. In this passage of our text, Jesus uses the term to refer to the inward individual, to the spirit. That part of a person that's not subject to the ravages of time. That part of a person that is permanent and eternal in its very nature. It's the value of this immortal part that Jesus is thinking about. But here's something we need to think about. The value of the soul. That's not a question for the next world only. The value of the soul, that's something that deserves our serious consideration in the here and now. Because, folks, we are constantly placing an estimate on the value of our souls. Oftentimes, we compare the value of our soul to the pleasures of the world. We're called upon to decide what we would sell our souls for. To determine 
What things in this life are more important than our soul? It might be golf. It might be football. It might be baseball. Hunting. Fishing. It might be extra sleep. Anything that is more important to me than the Lord Jesus Christ and serving Him. When I find something more valuable than that, I'm saying that that is more valuable than my soul. What are we willing to do? What are people today willing to sell their souls for? When I make the determination that my pleasure, my recreation, my enjoyment, when we talked like we talked about in Bible class this morning when we talked about demons, when I make the determination that doing my own thing is more important than living God's kind of life, God's way then I've decided in my selfishness that it's all about me. And it's not about God. To put anything on this earth above the church and above the Lord and above the things of God is to say to Jesus Christ hanging on that cross, well, What you did there is really not that significant. What you did there doesn't really mean that much to me. The question of the value of my soul is not something to be dealt with on Sunday only. It's a question I have to deal with every day that I live. It's not a question just for the preacher. It's a question that confronts every responsible person every day, every week, every month, every year. Every one of us, every day, is putting our soul on the balance scale. And weighing the value of our soul and what it is really worth. We've got to understand the difference in the things that are temporary and the things that are eternal. And sadly, The primary objects of our affection and our interest are temporary. They're the things that can and will be destroyed. It often reminds me, when when I think about the things that we think are most important, it reminds me of that old story where this man died 
And he got to heaven and he told Peter, he said, there's some things that were really important to me on earth I really would have liked to have brought with me. So Peter says, well, I'm going to let you go back to earth and I'm going to give you this heavenly suitcase. And everything you can put in this heavenly suitcase that's important to you on this on earth, I'm going to let you bring. So the man goes back to earth and he goes back to his house and he opens his safe. And he fills that heavenly suitcase Peter gave him with gold bars from his safe. And he goes back to heaven and he says to St. Peter, Well, I appreciate it. I've got my heavenly suitcase and I brought with me what's important. And Peter said, Well, can I look at it? And Peter opens the suitcase and says, Pavement? You brought pavement? You see, folks, that's kind of the way it is. The things of this earth are going to be destroyed. The baubles and the things that we are focused on will not last. Our soul lives through all eternity. And it's unlimited in its possibilities, either for good or for evil. The soul can sin or the soul can be righteous. The soul can be miserable or the soul can be happy. It can be valued above everything else and made fit for the association of the inhabitants of heaven or it can be made merchandise and traded for a mess of pottage through wrong choices. Our soul can become so degraded that it's fit only for the association of the inhabitants of that region of the damned. And it's a choice that's mine and a choice that's yours to make for what we do with our soul. Jesus said, What is a man profited? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. If all I succeed in gaining are the things of this world, all I have done is gain the things that will not satisfy. And our souls cannot be fed on, fed on bread alone. We can drink as deeply as we want to drink from the cup of worldly pleasure and it will not satisfy the thirst of the soul. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? He said, whoever drinks the water I give them will never die. There's a song about that. Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. And then, I heard my Master speaking, draw from the well that never shall run dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and heal the thirsting in my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. When we gain the world, we've gained something that won't endure. Something that's perishable. We're temporary inhabitants here. We're transients. 
We're just pilgrims passing through. One day, early or late, prepared or unprepared, we're going to leave this earth and gaining the world. We've gained something we can't take with us. If I could gain the whole world, my gain would be of questionable value. And if I gain the world at the loss of my soul, what is my loss? Pleasure is sometimes gained at the price of purity. Honor is sometimes gained at the price of sincerity and conviction. Sometimes wealth is the remuneration for the loss of honesty, generosity, and sympathy. We sell our birthright for a mess of pottage. If I lose my soul, it's an irrecoverable loss. If someday we stand before God on the eternal shore and we bartered our souls for a mess of pottage, I can't buy it back. And I can't get do-overs. We'll be like Esau of old who tried in vain to get his birthright back and couldn't do it. The writer of Hebrews tells us about him. He found no place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears. It's in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 17. When we recognize and realize the value of our soul, the certainty of judgment and the length of eternity, then we're going to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of all of our lives. Wait for it. If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, all of your life, He's not Master at all in your life. We make Him Master of our lives when we submit our stubborn will to His will. When believing in Him, we confess His name and we're buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. Or having done that and gone back to the ways of the world, we come back and let good people pray with us and pray for us. Are there needs in your life that are unmet? It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.